everybody, welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. I'm Tanning Grace, and as always, I'm joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, how you doing today, buddy? I am doing quite well. Um, yeah, just uh, normal stuff going on here. We had some people over this weekend uh, because there was multiple birthdays all in a short span. Uh, Chris McCurry, uh, whose was yesterday, Elliot Rafts, which is today, right, and Anthony was last week so we celebrated all three of them on saturday um you know just having people over for normal backyard games and food i made Very a bunch jealous. of potato pancakes Ooh. like latkes yeah I, and, I like those and a bunch of toppings to go on top of them we had, you know i made applesauce from scratch which i just ate the leftovers of yesterday it's mm-hmm. great um a little sour cream a little cream cheese a little goat cheese um all smoked salmon for people that were eating fish um, pick, I, I like pickled some onions, words. which are great because they just keep forever and I put them on anything. So now I've just got a, you know, multiple mason jars full of pickled onions. Um, yeah, basically just been eating delicious food, clowning people at trivia and, uh, enjoying a couple weeks off after a very hectic, you know, four or five weeks of traveling there. And I'm gearing up my, my November is going to, I think is going to be quite busy into early December. Uh, and I'll have a couple weeks of October of tournaments as well. So a nice busy end of the year. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of busy, you and I have both been abnormally busy these last few weeks. Again, we really apologize for the fact that we haven't been churning out an episode every single week. We're trying to do as much as we possibly can. I have been traveling an exorbitant amount, and I'm also leaving again tomorrow. Uh, I have the national championship this weekend for the United States of America. So so when you get home from nationals next week how many days at home will you have spent in the last month like five what's the what's the date today the 21st yeah uh i think the under would be like eight and a half yeah it would probably be the under yeah you you've been <laughs> doing a ton yeah also i know i know this is fab nationals coming up this weekend because uh mccurry is going and uh with a, a, a cohort from roanoke here yeah but is is Tarek allowed to play this so uh, that's that's the funny part. So uh, Tarek is not allowed to play. The throne sits vacant. So for anybody who remembers Tarek Patel as a good magic player, he is infinitely a better flesh and blood player. Not that he was a bad magic player, just the guy just gets the game better than anybody else. He's like a lot of people. If they ask, if you asked like who's the best player of the game, a lot of people just ask, would just say Tarek, right? You know, he like, yeah. broke the game when he first came in. Uh, he had a meteoric rise to where he is in the game, uh, kind of coming out of nowhere. And he won U.S. Nationals last year uh, because he lived in America. But the problem is, is he moved back to Canada for a few years because his residency ended at um, the Florida hospital that he was yeah, at. Yeah, I, I knew he was he's in a, Florida somewhere. Because that's the other thing. You know, don't forget, he's, he was a good magic player. He's a good flesh and blood player. In his spare time, he's just a doctor, you know, just saving <laughs> lives every day and stuff. So, uh, you know, um, he's busy, right? And so he moved back to, to Canada with his girlfriend for, uh, he said, probably a, a few years. And they're going to figure it out from there. Uh, he's not allowed to play in U.S. Nationals because he resides in Canada, so he qualified for Canadian Nationals. And guess who won that last week? Tark. Yeah, so he's now the reigning national champion in two countries until we ha- we uh, we actually crown a new one um, yeah. Sunday. I, I joked on Twitter that now he needs to win Mexican Nationals right. so that he can get the continent bonus. Yeah, uh, we were joking about this. I actually like was messaging with him and uh, his girlfriend. Like I'm friends with his girlfriend as well. 
And uh, she was like, yo, where should we move to next? I was like, yeah, just speed run all of NA. You know, just speed run all of North America. Just all the countries. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't know, like Brazil's going to be getting flesh and blood next year. You can maybe go there too. It's like, you know, the same same area-ish, ish. You know, it's same a different hemisphere, continent. yeah. Yeah, it's same hemisphere. There you go. It's all like that. So a lot of a lot of fun stuff there. Um, but yeah, guy, guy's just an absolute beast. Uh, just just crushing it. You know, great team that he works with and stuff too. The one thing I'm, I'm that I'm sad about is I don't get to see him this weekend. You know, uh, so I, well, that's the thing. I I'm not sure if he's actually coming because they they have a what is a GP attached to it because you know national starts on Friday and then they do what's called a calling on Saturday. You know, for all the people who don't make day two and all the people who just want to show up and play the event anyway. And so I know some of the Canadians are coming down because it's not on the same weekend as their nationals, right? It was last weekend, but we'll see if um. Tart comes as well. I hadn't, I hadn't asked about Fred. I knew he's he just spent a month in Europe with, with his girlfriend, so he might just want to stay home for a little while. <laughs> might have you to, know. you know, work as a, as a doctor. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I think you know, I think he planned a lot of this like while moving back. He was like, all right, I might take like a month off. Or I think they're getting like reboard certified. You know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know how all of it works, but I remember them posting stuff about like you know the tests they were taking and you know all the stuff they have to do. So they were probably doing some of that extracurricular stuff as well. Mm. Um, as for today's episode. So uh, our schedule got a little messed up, obviously. You know, we're alluding to this that, you know, we've been super busy. We've been traveling a lot. Uh, it doesn't really make sense to do a top eight episode anymore because we're, like, so far into the yeah. cards being out and there's been tons of results. So it would be very huh, self-aggrandizing and serving here. It'd be like, yeah, I was, I knew this, this card was going to be great. You know, <laughs> Our top eight list, number one, Shieldred. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd be like, wait a minute. Y'all would not have, y'all would not have said this, you know, kind of thing. And yeah. So what we're going to do today is instead we're just going to talk about the massive impact that this set has had on constructed formats. We're going to talk some standards, some pioneers, some modern. Uh, I don't really, I mean, like, I'll take a look at some legacy stuff in a second. I hadn't really looked into legacy, but I don't think there's been a big shift. Plus, all the legacy doom and gloom lately has been about these new cards that are getting printed. And we'll, we'll <laughs> Space Jace? Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> or Jace with a gun, as I like to call it, and stuff. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of fun stuff possibly going on with all these cards. We'll talk about that going on, but... It does seem to appear, Ross, that there is a best color in this set and a best color in standard. And if you've lived under a rock, maybe the last couple of weeks you haven't seen it, but for a bit at home, which one is that one again? That would be black, my least yeah. favorite color in all of Magic. Oh, you said you least? Yeah. Wait, why? I actually like I actually like black quite a bit. I dislike playing with discard spells, which is their primary and most unique form of disruption. Yeah, I um, I don't think I've ever been tilted more than the card Thoughtseize in my life, yeah. like playing with that card a lot. Like, you see your opponent's hand, you take the card that's going to mess them up the most, and then you just watch the top of their deck destroy you for the for the rest of the game. Yeah, I'm I'm a teamer guy, Tannen, and then it, between the other two, I I would have white ahead of black, yeah. because white aggro decks tend to be better than black aggro decks. Not to say you know I won't play black cards. Yeah, I played yeah, Mono Black Aggro and Pioneer in the early days of that format when it was when it was the best deck by yeah. like a, lar a large margin. Yeah, so you know if, if it's great, I'll play it. But definitely would be n number five on my list. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, it's definitely higher up for me. I don't know what my least. I, mean, I think white just might be my least favorite overall. Even though like I've definitely played some decks with a lot of white in it. It's just like it's almost it's almost always a like a role player in the decks that I play. If I play white, you know, it's like Bant or like I'm playing blue white control, but white's there mostly for like wrath. You know what I mean? Like the, a very specific hedge. I, I'd rather play the blue cards, etc. Even though my favorite deck of all time had white in it. You know, I played planes in my favorite deck of all time. So uh, interesting, 
interesting spot. But we're gonna go over some of these cards, uh, how how they've been affecting the format and stuff like that. You know, some cards that like we may, you know, we'll even make some references to like, oh, you know, we had this card a little higher on our, in our thoughts because Ross and I had kind of exchanged lists a little bit, not like a physical list, but we had talked about some cards and what we thought uh, was going to be good and what we thought was going to overperform and underperform, which we've seen that now, but we can actually talk about our opinions. So let's just get started with the biggest and baddest one, the one that everyone talked about the most, the reprint in that best color. Let's talk about Liliana the Veil, because I know you, you had some stuff to get off your chest for this card. Yeah, um, you know, I personally didn't understand the hype coming out during preview season, I understand, you know, Liliana is such an iconic character in Magic, one of the most popular characters. Liliana the Veil, certainly the best iteration of Liliana printed, has, has you know, made an impact in several formats. That said, you know, if you look at that impact, it's relatively narrow. This is not a card that was particularly widely played in Standard during its time in that format. Yeah, uh, it definitely was not. And yeah. keep in mind, this was a standard environment where Geistos Traft was a premier threat. So you would think Liliana would have been great just as, if only as a good answer to Geist. Yeah, the, the problem was, is, I mean, it wasn't good against some of those decks. And then Doom Traveler was a big player around that time as well. And yeah. so cards like that really Doom to Traveler and Lingering Souls. <laughs> yeah, those cards embarrassed Liliana the Veil. Yeah, um, and... and uh, so it wasn't a big player in Standard. It was sort of a minor role player. And uh, outside of that, you know, in Modern, it was in, what, one Jund. deck? Yeah, Jund. <laughs> Jund them out, right? Jund, yeah. Jund, 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 Jund. Yeah. Now, obviously, that's a very popular deck. People love Jund. Uh, any content creator knows it. Um, but it's not, you know, that is not indicative of an awesome card to me. It was a very good card in one specific deck. And in particular, what, there are some things about Liliana that I think most players don't quite understand in terms of how it fits into decks. Um, and I think that came up a lot in terms of how people talked about it, it with Abzan Greasefang. You know, you, you look at Liliana and you think, oh, this is a generically good card that I can put in my Greasefang deck that helps me discard Parhelion and set up my combo. So it's gonna, it's a great fit. But what Lili Liliana is not a generically good card. That's why it hasn't made such a wide-ranging impact. Uh, its impact has been felt in very specific roles. What Liliana does is it restricts everyone's resources in the game. This is a card that really, you know, forces players to play on a low base of resources. And so it gets put into decks that like to play those types of games. Notably, these kinds of decks are usually the least synergy-driven. It's the decks playing Tarmogoyf, a card with virtually no text box. You know, all its text box is doing is setting its power and toughness. Uh, you know, with cards like Bloodbraid Elf that, you know, generate card advantage, are great top decks, but, you know, don't set up any sort of engine. And Liliana has been, been great in those decks. Now, that's not what Greasefang is. Greasefang is a synergy deck. Typically, synergy more the more synergy laden your deck is, the more you want to play resource rich games of Magic because you know that the more resources that you, that each player has, the more likely you are to establish your synergies, get your engine online, and that engine is likely going to be more powerful than anything your opponent can do, even if they are also flush with resources. So, to me, this was a not a good strategic fit, and I've been feeling somewhat vindicated over the last couple of weeks 
uh, seeing Absent Greasefang decks start with three or four Lilianas, and they've now gone down to, you know, the, I think the last challenge had three Greasefang decks in the top eight, or in the top 16, and it was zero copies in one, one copy in another, two copies in the other. So they were averaging yeah. one. Paper yeah, way, seems to be less, a little yeah. behind that. The, the CMB event, or CMG event, uh, I think it was won by a Greasefang deck that had three. But still, like, this is not an automatic slam four of in your deck. This is just, you know, an okay role player mm-hmm. at best. Yeah and, yeah, and, like, that was one of the things, you know, I kind of saw this coming a little bit in, like, Pioneer, where I'm like, yeah, I think it slots into the, the black-red deck well, but, like, that's just a deck that's already established that just can utilize this card, right? You know, that can utilize this effect, but... Well, I mean, Rakdos about... is the jund of the format, right? right. This, exactly. Rakdos is the deck that yeah. wants to play the game on a low base of resources, so Liliana fits quite well in that deck. And I've still seen players cut down to two Lilianas. I think Misplaced yep. Ginger's most recent list is playing two. Yeah, exactly. Because it doesn't line up that well against a lot of the rest of the format. It's very weak to Treasure Cruise, it's pretty weak to Old Growth Troll, and it's not particularly good against the aggressive decks. Yeah, like, you don't want your opponent to be, like, on the mono-white deck, right? And they go, like, creature, 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 and you're, like, Liliana, make you sacrifice. And you're, like, LOL. Like, yeah, sure. Sacrifice is staying, kill your Liliana, keep killing you. You know, you did, like, you pay three mana to cast, you know, Diabolic Edict, pretty much, on your opponent, you know, kind of thing. And maybe gain a little bit of life. Like, okay, so, like, maybe that's fine in some spots, but not something that I want to be doing. And so... This wouldn't have been this would not have been my like most overrated card in the set, but it I would have like given it a uh, honorable mention because of the fact that like you know people were freaking out and like you know oh like you know this is going to be a four of like all the decks. I'm not seeing it in the formats like you talked about, but I will say that in standard, uh, the the sky is falling kind of thing, maybe a, a little more realistic. You know when you look at the results for the standard events, uh, there's a very clear cut best color in standard it's black you know a lot of people are playing liliana she holdred graveyard trespasser like that's just that's like the core right all those cards are really good and really powerful i played some uh standard on arena i was talking to you about this earlier i played some standard arena earlier or like it's at some point in the last week or whatever and i played a uh blue white aggro deck i guess is a way to put it it's kind of like mono blue shitters you know except you have the the white double strike creature that connives i can never remember the name of it the two drop that's a one one. Oh uh, yeah um yeah and you have like some tricks and stuff right and I, I played that deck and i liked it it was really good i think i played like 12 matches 15 matches and i played against Lily on the veil every single round ross every one of my opponents cast it or could have cast it i think they might have all just cast the card and i was like well, this makes this deck a lot worse when every single person is playing Liliana, because otherwise I thought the deck was really powerful and good and, like, had some stuff going. You know, I used a build that did well in a Japanese tournament, like one of the very first results we got of the new set being uh, put out with Standard. I didn't like some of the cards in the builds. Uh, you know, I can talk about that later, but yeah, just, I just played against Liliana every single round. Uh, if I were to say, like, an actual vote for what I thought was going to be the most overrated card or one of the ones that got a lot of press that I just wasn't seeing, it would have been Silverback Elder for me. You know, the green mythic that's a 5-7. The card jumps off the page, has a lot of text. I just don't see what you play it in. That's the big problem for me. Yeah. It, it seems like the the metagame for standard has been incredibly mid-range dominant because that's where the power lies. And, uh, you know, Liliana tends to play well in, in those mid-range mirrors, um, and, and the, you know the, just the black cards in general ha- have been the best mid-range cards for the format. So 
I'm sort of expecting someone to figure out how to attack those decks with something aggressive, uh, and it just hasn't happened yet. Um, you know, maybe it never happens, maybe it's impossible, but that to me is like the key change that needs to happen in order to, uh, you know, have the format progress beyond this sort of initial stage. There was a, there was a deck to finish third in the standard uh, challenge this weekend. That's it's like green, red aggro, I guess is the way to put it. You know, it's got Kamanovases, Kazakhstan, and then like. Uh, a card that I actually was talking to my buddy that I thought this was close to playable and constructed, and that's uh, Yavamaya. It's like uh, Yavamaya Iconoclast, I think is the name of the card. It's like the 3-2 for one and a green. It's got Trample. It's got a red kicker, where if you pay the kicker, it gets uh, plus plus one in haste until one turn, but it's just a 3-2 yeah. Trampler for two, which is like, that's almost close enough. Yeah, and then she's got, like, I, the card looks a lot like Flint of Four to me. Yeah, exactly. It's one to four, right? And then the card's got like Thundering uh, Raiju and like Korean Beast Caller, another card that you're big on. We're going to talk a little bit about today. And it's Phoenix Chick. And, you know, just a bunch of cards from the new set. And then like Halana and Ascendant Pack Leader and stuff. And so it's just like trying to curve out on you. You know, a lot of one drops, a lot of two drops, a lot of things to be doing with your mana on the first couple turns. And then very good ways of finishing the game quickly from there. And, you know, this deck seems okay against Liliana. You know, Phoenix Chick's pretty good against it. Uh, it's got Squee in the deck as well, which is pretty good against that card. You know, either pitching it to Liliana or playing it to get the extra body and stuff like that. <clears throat> it's also got um, Lanawar Loam Speaker, which can, like, turn your lands into creatures. And, uh, you know, it's, it's good as a... Is, is a uh, it's good as a early uh, drop for adding mana and then, like, playing stuff out quicker. The problem is that the ability is a sorcery, so you can't, like you know, trade a land for a Liliana activation, which is unfortunate, but other than that, this deck seems cool. It's the kind of thing that, you know, I would like and I'd like to play. I just don't know how good it is, you know, we'll have to see. Because, you know, in a in a format where, like, the mid-range decks are very good, they have a bunch of removal and, like, four drops and stuff, I'm not sure I want to play a deck that, that goes a little bit underneath it, you know? Yeah, like, I want to either go draw. way underneath it or yeah. over the top of it. Yeah, exactly, and... You know, seeing cut down getting played quite a bit and flame bless bolt and stuff like that, that seems like a nightmare for uh for some of those spots. You know, because we're seeing, you know, mono black, we're seeing Grixis, and we're seeing Jund quite a bit. And it's just what flavor of black do you want to have in standard right now? And it's it's just a bunch of like removal creatures. Like everything garners some kind of card advantage, right? Like, you know, you have blood type harvester that like, you know, <clears throat> obviously leaves of blood. Has some good abilities. They're playing Corpse Appraiser now. It's card advantage. You know, they're playing Urtai, the Resurrected. Again, like, wasted. This one's Tenacious kind of reversed. Underdog. Yeah, Tenacious Underdog. She Holdred. Uh, like, Soul Transfer is getting played now because you have Fable, the Mirror Breaker, and Meat Hook Massacre along with the Blood Tokens. Uh, Fires of Victory is making into these in these decks. Same thing with Rona's Vortex. And, you know, uh, I think it's Reckoner Bankbuster and stuff like that. So just, it's Jund. You know, it's it's a Jund world right now in standard. It's just what flavor of Jund do you want? And you know what I mean by that? It's not just the colors red, black, and green. There's red, blue, and black. And so what version of the mid-range black deck do you want to play in standard right now is the question. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm gonna actually going to be commentating some standard this weekend Ooh. with uh, one Bradley Nelson. We are uh, pairing for the Mana Traders event. Corey's going to be out of town, so... I am hoping to see someone, you know, figure out this format because it does seem ripe for someone to attack it with a rogue strategy, given how narrow the current metagame is. Uh, you know, ho hoping to see somebody figure it out so we, we can move past this. But 
so far it's, it's been the black decks dominating. So I'm not, uh, I will say I'm hopeful, but not confident. Yeah. And like, that's the thing, right? Is like, you know, people for this event, not saying it's not a big event or anything like that. It's just like, are you really incentivized to try to break it? Or are you just going to play good decks? And I think people are just going to play good decks. And, you know, we're not having an event every weekend like we used to have with, like, Star City Games where people are, like, constantly trying to break it. You know, they're like, oh, if everyone's playing this, let me figure out a way around this. And, you know, like, maybe it happens that way. Maybe it doesn't. I, I, you know, I want to see, you know, something different. I want to see, like, something cool. But I, I can't blame people for playing. I mean, these decks look great. Like, if there was team events right now, I'd be pretty excited about standard because Brennan would just carve it up probably. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is it's a Brennan format. Yeah. So, you know, we talked a little bit about Liliana the Veil in these. Let's talk about She Holder quite a bit because I'll I'll readily admit when I looked at the card, I'm like, obviously this card's good, right? Like, obviously this card's powerful, right? It's a, it's a four or five death touch for four, which is you know again hard to kill in Pioneer, hard to kill in Standard. Whenever you draw a card, you gain two life, and your opponent draws a card, they lose two life. I thought that this one was going to be slightly overrated. You know, it's like one of those ones that, like, when I look at it, I'm like, yeah, this is cool, but, like, it just dies and then, like, doesn't do a whole lot. But, like, the more I've been watching games and playing with it, the card's really annoying and really good. Yeah, I, I, I also would have underrated this card for sure. I, I kind of looked past it on, on the spoiler list and, and didn't think much of it. And, you know... I've been skeptical of it, even as it's been seeing a lot of play in both Standard and Pioneer. Uh, not really sure exactly, you know, why everyone was so enamored with it. I think I've figured a bit of it out. Um, and here's my theory on where the power of Shielded actually lies. Because no one could even really, like, tell it to me. Although, if I ever questioned it to someone, their response was usually just like, oh, you just have to see it. Like, it plays better than it reads. And I'm like, but I, personally, like, I'm the kind of person that needs to know why, you know, because then I can understand, like, you know, wh when is it going to be bad? When do I sideboard it out? Things like that. Um, so I, I was always, I was, I've been asking myself why for, you know, two weeks now. And I, I think the reason is, uh, you know, it, it goes back to sort of how the, these mid-range decks play, the Jundi decks. When we were talking about Liliana uh, earlier, and, you know, when you're playing these, you know, strip everybody of resources decks, trade early and often, Thoughtseize you, Liliana you, let's, you, what you do is you empty both players' hands rather quickly. And over the years, we figured out that, you know, a good strategy, you know, against these decks is to take out just low impact cards. To essentially give your, you know, build your deck in a way that your top decks are as strong as possible. Because every game is going to come down to that. So you might as well, you know, uh, give yourself the best shot in those top deck wars. Now, the jun what's been important for these decks over the years is to try to close the game quickly. Because you're going to eventually draw some discard spells that are bad. And, you know, your opponent is going to eventually draw enough cards to find whatever synergies they're putting together. Or find really powerful individual cards that can take over a game. So it's been important for them to play threats that end the game rather quickly. Tarmogoyf and Bloodbird Elf historically have done that quite well. And I think one of the things that separated the best Jund players back then from weaker Jund players was their willingness to get a little bit more aggressive and end the game rather quickly to activate that, you know, Raging Ravine on turn five and get that hit in. Uh, whereas the other players would focus a little bit more on generating card advantage. 
um, and being more of a control deck, and that really didn't work when you had so much discard in your disruption suite. So Shieldred, incidentally, you know, ends the game rather well. <laughs> it's effectively a six-power creature, right? And, right? and two of it is sort of haste, because your opponent's probably going to be draw a card before that you know they're able to interact with it, unless they have an instant speed removal spell. So you're getting quite a bit of damage through with this card, um, you know, and if your opponent is then trying to dig for an answer to it, if their dig spells are physically drawing cards, then that's limiting their clock as well. You know, one of the ways that you often, you know, beat the, the you know, discard decks is with drawing big sources of card advantage. Your Treasure Cruise has historically been awesome against Thoughtseize. Uh, Shieldred is great against those things, so you sort of take away some of their top decks as well uh, with the ability. And then the, the thing that's worries would be worrisome is it's a, sort of a four-mana threat against aggro that a lot of decks can kind of remove. Um, but you're able to gain some life in those matchups too. So it can play reasonably well in the aggressive matchups. Um, and, you know, I I had been looking at it as, oh, it's just like a four mana, four or five, kind of hard to remove based on the removal people are playing. But as soon as they figure it out, they'll be fine. But in these mid-range strategies, you're stripping away all their reactive cards before you're playing it in a large portion of the games. So they're often left trying to top deck the answer, and Shieldred is a really good threat for limiting the you know amount of time that they have to, to find those answers. Now, now when you compare that to a card like Kalidus, Kalidus doesn't really clock the opponent very well. It's very good against aggro. It can be good in mid range mirrors if your opponent plays creatures into it, but they can also just sit there and take three for a couple turns, hold creatures in their hand until they find the removal spell, and then have this handful of threats. Um, so, you know, I, I think it ends up playing better than Kalidus in a, you know, generic sense. I think in an aggro heavy metagame, Kalidus would be better. But with so much Rakdos around right now in Pioneer, there just isn't a ton of aggro. So Shieldred is starting to make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. I really liked the thing you were talking about with me earlier, and maybe you alluded to a little bit here. It was, you know, like in Pioneer, you're talking about it, you know, I was kind of surprised to see like how ubiquitous it was immediately adopted into the deck. And I started thinking about all the matchups, and I'm like, yeah, I don't love it versus, like, mono green, uh, you know, like, stuff like that, because, like, it doesn't do enough quickly enough, because you want to end the game as quickly as possible there, but it does help out a little bit. But you were talking about it against Phoenix and how, like, it's so good against their pop-off turns, right? Like, it's so good against, like, Treasure Cruise stuff. And I was like, yeah, I didn't even think about that angle that, like, Treasure Cruise, yeah, all right, take six. Like, you know, and if yeah. I've pushed any damage now, like, I can probably start winning the race from here. You know, and it's if they don't have exactly lightning, uh, lightning axe or whatever, like they're they don't have a lot of ways to answer this card, you know, without spewing multiple cards into it, kind of stuff. So, and again, when you're playing a bunch of thought seizes and Liliana's before it, your opponent is probably not going to have that lightning axe sitting around. Like, if I'm pl if, if your opponent is plussing a Liliana, are you going to keep lightning axe in your hand so you can two for one yourself not. again? Yeah, yeah probably no, not. No, that's like the, yeah. one of the first spells I'm discarding. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, this thing sucks, and then immediately they play a 4-5, and you're like, well, I suck. So, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. that kind or, of stuff. Or you keep it in your hand, and your opponent just keeps plussing and doesn't play the 4-5, yeah. and you're like, eventually, I have to discard it. Yeah. And speaking of the color black, there's another card I wanted to bring up for just a second. Um, it was a card that I thought was going to be, like, kind of underrated. Uh, I liked the card a lot, and that's the Cruelty of Gix. Uh, being five mana is a lot. This is the a saga in the set. Uh, they all have read ahead, which allows you to choose whatever chapter you want to go on to. Just for a bit at home, this one's uh, five mana for the first one is target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a creature or planeswalker card from it. They discard the card. Uh, two, you search your library for a card, put it into your hand, shuffle, you lose three life. 
And third, you put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. That's any graveyard. Um, it's one of those ones where, like, if everything gets into, like, this big mid-range fest, this card could be one of those cards that can go over the top. Kind of like, uh, it was like the Eldest Reborn, kind of. This It reminds me a lot of the Eldest Reborn, you know, years and years ago. And Standard being very good in the green-black deck. And this is one of those cards that can fit a similar role in my mind and be very good. The problem is, you know, fitting it in, it's it's really expensive, etc., I've, I've played this set a lot in Limited, and I've just never beaten this card in Limited. So in my mind, this card's the greatest card ever, you know, kind <laughs> of thing. Where, you know, uh, you know, if we were trying to go over the top of each other with mid-range decks in Limited, th- this is one of the cards that I'd, I'd be tempted to try out in some of these black decks and stuff. So, And I, I do think uh, the card is seeing play in um, in Standard. The, the Jund Reanimator deck, it's a key part of that deck. As both, you know, its source of reanimation, but also, a, a, you know, a generic value card. And the read head aspect of it, it plays really well in that deck because you can just go straight to reanimating your Titan if you want to go over the top of your opponent quickly and they haven't interacted with you. But if your opponent is interacting with you, you're able to just play it on chapter one and grind some value with it. Um, or if, you know, if your draw didn't come together, if you don't have your, your reanimation target in your graveyard at that point. Um, so, you know, read ahead, I think, is a mechanic that is easy to overlook because what it is is, you know, sacrificing value, supposedly, because you ideally you want all three chapters, right, for, or all four, however many chapters your, your saga is uh, to, you know, maximize the value of your card. But it's not stopping you from doing that if you still want to do it. It's just giving you more options. And those, you know, more options is never a bad thing. Um, because there, there are times when you really just need a five mana zombify and uh, being able to do that is more valuable than not being able to do it. Even if there are times when you'd rather, you know, generate that value. So cruelty seeing some plain standard seems like at five mana, just too high of a mana cost for older formats where you need, you know, you can get similarly powerful effects at a lower spot in the curve. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's one of those things, like, again, I think we'll see it some, some in standard. We'll see how, like, over the top we want to go. Uh, I think it'll be a while before we start getting huge amounts of standard as well. A lot of people are playing Pioneer and Modern right now because of tournaments and stuff like that. But, like, going forward in the next couple months, standard's going to be a little more relevant. You know, I think it was the beginning of next year's first big event is standard, if I remember right. The first, like, quote-unquote Pro Tour yeah. for next year. So uh, we'll see about that. Now, I know there was a couple other cards you wanted to talk about and the, the, the big impact they've had. And... We've been talking to a bit about Pioneer, so let's kind of lean into that too, because uh, we've seen a card I didn't, you know, I, I saw it on the, on the spoiler, right? And I was like, this card's interesting. I didn't think he would make this kind of impact in, in this kind of deck. It kind of surprised me, but let's just go ahead and go into the card, and that's Phoenix Chick. And this card, I know Todd Anderson was doing really well with it on stream. We've had some people do pretty well um, finishing with it in some of the challenges and stuff online, and... Let me read the card for a bit home if I can find some. I'll make sure I get it exactly right. Okay. So it's a one drop. Uh, it's one red for a 1-1 one, one of flying in haste, and it can't block. Whenever you attack with three or more creatures, you may pay red red. If you do, return Phoenix Chick from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped, attacking with a plus one, plus one counter on it. So, um, yeah, Ross, this this has been showing up in mono red quite a bit, and a deck that, you know, you and I remember the beginnings of this format in Pioneer, you know, was... Monored's good, which version of it's best, and we haven't really seen it for a while or an aggro deck like this. And I'm I'm glad I'm kind of glad we have this type of deck back. Yeah, this might have been this was this was on my short list for most underrated card during previous season. So I'll I'll 
pat myself on the back for, for this one. Um, though, because uh, no one el- no one else is going to, so you might as well do it. Yeah, uh, you know, we've never we've seen a lot of different sort of raging goblin style cards. I think fanatical firebrand probably the best among them. Um, but you know, one with evasion is uh, is quite interesting because. Uh, well, I, it's really the combination. You know, the evasion means that obviously, like you know, it's not going to get uh, stopped by a lot of blockers early in the game, um, and uh, you're you're going to be guaranteed a, a good number of attacks with it. Uh, now, normally that would mean it's just a greater target for removal, but the fact that you can recur it with that second ability means it, it is you know a, a card you'd rather avoid using a removal spell on uh, as a mid ranger control deck. So the the two sort of pl- you know play well with each other and create a card with sort of natural internal synergy uh, in addition to it just a, a reasonable rate. Um, so it, it always seemed like a a, a very good uh, one drop to me for mono red and it, for pioneer specifically. It plays really well with a lot of the deck's other cards. It's it's a great follow up to Kumano faces Kakazan and to get that counter. So now it's a one mana two two flying haste. That that's insane, um, and it is also um, it is a really good enabler for spectacle, which I think is very important for mono red decks and pioneer that's un- because that's underrated too. light yeah. up the stage and skewer the critics. You know, range from really poor to very good cards depending upon how consistently you're casting them for their spectacle cost so having you know this card that is going to promise to plank through for that one damage turn after turn to make sure that you have this one mana you know effective a lightning bolt uh i guess a chain lightning maybe a more appropriate analogy given that it's sorcery uh as well as the one mana draw to uh you know super super important so we're starting to see mono red you know, poke back up uh, as you know a premier aggressive deck in Pioneer, and it's it's I sort of in between at this point. You know, we've seen the burn heavy mono red lists with Vishen of Pyromancer, Wizards Lightning, and we had seen uh, very creature heavy mono red lists with Burn of Tree Emissary, Anax, and Embercleave as sort of their over the top card. Now we're starting to see the the sort of well-rounded mono-red deck come together. You've got your eight prowess creatures, Kamano Faces, Kakazan, and Phoenix Chick. Uh, there might even be another one-drop, because I feel like there were 20. No, no, it's six, I think it's just 16. Um, and then you've got you know, Bone Crusher Giant, you've got Eidolon of the Great Revel, you've got three-mana Chandra, um, and a lot of good burn with Play Dress, With Fire. Dress to Kill, right, for Chandra? Yeah, Chandra Dress to Kill. Um, you know, play and then it's like play with fire, a couple wild slashes as additional shocks because you want that against mono green and the aggro decks. Um, and then you know, the the spectacle cards, and that that's really your deck. Um, you know, with, with like 20 lands or so, that the mana base is surprisingly good. Um, you know, even though you can't really play Mutavault because you have so many red pips in your your in your spells, yeah, uh, you, you really can't really curve out too, yeah, 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 you can't really play Mutavault with Eidolon, but. You, you get to play Den of the Buckbear and Ramnap Ruins and one Sokinson. So the deck has nine utility lands. It's usually 11 mountains, nine utility lands, and like one or two Spikefield Hazards. Um, oh, they're not playing Eidolon. They they used to. They're starting to play Obosh now. So uh, I just don't think they play any two drops. But in order, that's why having more one drops is even better 
because then you can just go triple one drop on the first you know two turns of the game uh and that that you know have that ideal curve and then obosh is backing them up um the one weak part about obosh is that you can't play lava coil in your sideboard yeah i guess there's some lists playing eidolon uh but those are probably more the creature heavy lists because they, they can't play uh obosh with burning tree emissary but I prefer the non-creature heavy lists. I don't really, you know, to me the creature heavy deck is just like draw Embercleave or lose, and I all the lists only play three Embercleaves, and that doesn't make any sense to me because I don't understand how you ever win a game without drawing it. Sure. Uh, yeah. But uh, the the sort of in between lists with Chandra and Obosh, uh, you know, have been doing quite well, and I think Phoenix Chick sort of giving you that critical mass of one mana creatures uh, has been a really big part of it. Yeah, and like thinking about it in in uh, Pioneer, right? Like th this is the kind of threat you want against Mono Green, right? You just want to attack them as much as possible. The tiny bit of evasion, like this, doesn't get around uh, Cavalier, but it does get around all the early drops, right? You know, it can it can fly over the troll and stuff like that. But when I start thinking about the black red deck, right? Like the deck you're going to play against probably the most are Mono Green and Black Red in Pioneer and Grease Fang. Um, when I start thinking about the black red deck, you know, we've seen newer versions, you know, with a lot of Sheholdreds now and less, um, the, the four drop that exiles, we just talked about it, literally blanked to the name. Kalidus. Um, yeah, less Kalidus. And I, I know this is weird. You and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, Edgar Magiesh tweeted a, a list that he's been playing recently. He said he's played five leagues with uh, his last five leagues. He's, he's five owed four times out of those five. So he's almost, you know, 25 and 0 with the list and he has zero graveyard trespasser. So if you have no graveyard trespasser and no other ways to like interact with your opponent's graveyard, other than he has unlicensed Hurst, you know, main, but there's definitely less stuff because I'll say this, if you get your Phoenix chick killed and then they play a graveyard trespasser, taking your Phoenix, chick, that feels pretty bad. Like that's, that's kind of a nightmarish scenario where like, you know, they have, you have a card that not only is it a three, three and survives most of your removal spells, but has a good ward ability and then is gaining life plus taking away some of your, your plan on how to win the game, that card can be kind of scary. So if you're seeing a tick back on some of those cards, you know, again, this is, this is a card that, you know, I could really, really get behind as well. And surprisingly so, like you said, you know, you saw this and you're like, yeah, this one has a chance, right? And you were, you were alluding to stuff in, in a uh, standard about, you know, decks that can maybe, you know, get around, go completely under some of these, uh, these mid range decks. And this is maybe one of the cards you got to look at when you're doing that and when you're starting. Yeah, I agree because, you know, those are going to be decks that are very linearly aggressive, really high creature counts. And, you know, Phoenix chick obviously plays really well in those. I could even see it, you know, in, in standard, if you're, uh, you know, curving into fable, you can then discard Phoenix chicks that you've drawn and return them once you have all the extra creatures and even generate a little card advantage off of that as well. Absolutely. Now, we've talked a little, a little bit about Pioneer, a card that, let's talk about another card that's maybe impacting Pioneer just a little bit, but definitely a lot more in Modern. And this was going to be one of my highest cards on my list. I know a lot of people were big on this one and thinking about how impactful it's going to be. But Leyline Binding has really lived up to the hype uh, in this set. For everybody at home, it's five and a white for an enchantment with Flash. It has Domain, so it costs one less for each basic land type you control. And when it enters the battlefield, you exile target non-land permanent opponent controls until uh, Leyline Binding leaves the battlefield. So it's an instant speed Oblivion Ring that 
on turn two has been costing one or two mana in some of these decks because of all the triomes and shock lands. And if you, you know, you have fetch lands and stuff like that. So this card has been extremely cheap in Pioneer. I'm sorry, in Modern. I mean, I've, I've even seen people play it in Pioneer in control decks, just right. putting extra triomes, triomes in their deck yeah. in order to enable it, uh, you know, sort of bastardizing the, their mana bases. But yeah, in Modern, it's, you know, incredibly easy to do that. Uh, and you see it in, in almost any deck that was playing Triomes before, you know, this is an easy card to either just straight add to your deck or splash for if, you, if you're if you not playing white. So, you know, the creativity decks, for example, are generally teamer-based uh, with some black services to hardcast Archons. There are some lists, though, that splash white and go full five-color to play Teferi. Now, I've seen lists that aren't even playing Teferi and are just playing Leyline Binding, uh, you know, as a better card to splash for. Really versatile removal spell, you know, in a format where sometimes you need to answer Archon of Cruelty, sometimes you need to answer Fable of the Mirror Breaker, sometimes it's Underworld Breach, sometimes it's Yawgmoth, sometimes, you know, it's just a Raghavan in the early games. So, uh, you know, at one and two mana, this can really handle all of those uh, and then notably does not interfere with your Cascades. So Andrea Mangucci, you know, I think is, has been the you know most high-profile player working on four-color Rhinos, which had sort of been left by the wayside in favor of Teamer uh, a few months ago, but now is coming back in a big way because it, you know, has this, you know, huge reason to be four colors uh, on top of the, the other reasons if you were playing Omnath or Solitude or, or Teferi, uh, you know, or all of those. Uh, if you have enough room, because you're a Yorian deck at that point. Uh, and then, uh, of course, Ardently, if you're going Yorian to add more Cascade cards to your deck. Uh, you know, that, you know, that is just a, a bonus. I, I've seen four color, um, Glimpsey Unthinkable Cascade decks, and then, of course, the normal sort of four color math control decks. Uh, so all of them getting a boost from Leyline Binding. Um, personally, as, as someone who's been playing Breach for the last six weeks, it worries me a little bit. Um, you know, I think one of the things that a lot of players didn't know about Breach and one of the reasons we've been able to have so much success with it is that, you know, the deck is incredibly versatile and in order to come to combat it, you need to do more than just attack the combo or just deal with the early creatures. You need cards that can, you know, you need to be able to do all of it. And in order to be able to do all of it, that you need cards that can serve multiple roles. And that's where Dress Down, you know, was really good, answering Saga tokens while also stopping the combo. Leyline Binding is similarly versatile. You know, you can cast it early to answer a Raghavan or an Emery, or you can cast it, you know, after a an Underworld Breach to break up the combo. You know, now there are ways to play around it. You know, we've been adding Teferis to the main uh, to help there, and you can also, you know, you have to let the breach resolve. If they have enough mana, you can play a second breach from the graveyard, and now binding doesn't break it up. But that does, you know, force the breach player into more awkward spots. There are going to be times where, you know, maybe I want to go for it, but I'm afraid of a binding, so I wait, and you end up, you know, finding a different answer, and, I, you know, I lose a game I could have won otherwise. So there's a lot of sort of implied value just to the card being in your deck that also makes me a little afraid, but... um Ultimately, I don't, you know, I wouldn't say this is going to make a huge impact on how the modern metagame works, but it's a definitely a, a very good card. Yeah, I don't think we can understate, like, how important the fact that it has flashes. Oh, yeah. You know, it just, 
Yeah, getting to play this in control decks is kind of absurd. Yeah, I don't. I don't think this would be playable without Flash. Yeah, and I think with Flash's card is. I mean, I've, uh, at two mana, you know, let's say you have three different colors in play. At two mana, I think this card is like very, 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 very good. And when it gets down to one, the things that you can do with it, like you were, you know, alluding to, is just very. I think versatile, impactful, and good, and like. It's we're slowly seeing this happen with a lot of like the you can look at the blue white control decks in particular is you know in the past like when you think of like the classic versions of the deck we're getting like instant speed versions of all the things that needed right you know we have an instant speed planeswalker now we kind of don't really have an instant speed raf other than like settle the wreckage but like you don't really need that and then you now you have like instant speed oblivion ring effects with leyline binding as well so like. You know, I joked about this when they printed uh, the Wandering Emperor. It's like, yeah, now when you get to hold up four mana of the blue-white deck, like, your range is infinite. It's even bigger now with these decks with Leyline Binding as well. Like, they can actually just do and answer everything now. And it's it's kind of annoying they, they just get every version of all the cards now at instant speed. But whatever, they need they need help in the last few years. As far as Azorius Control goes, like, it does come at a cost to your mana base. Right. Whereas, yeah, you know, course. the decks that wanted to play Triumphs anyway... This is actually a payoff for fetching Triumphs on the early turns. A lot of the times, you could put your opponent who's playing one of those decks in an awkward spot by applying early pressure, forcing them to fetch for untapped land so that they could cast whatever answers they had, and now suddenly their mana base got really awkward or they took a lot of extra damage. Being able to just fetch two Triumphs on the first two turns, make sure the first one's a white one, and Leyline Binding a threat without falling that far behind, you know, especially if you're on the play is, you know, a payoff for doing the thing that you want to do anyway, which not only, you know, sets you up to cast your spells reliably and easily, it also means that you're not taking that much damage because you don't have these early untapped shocks. So uh, I think Leyline Binding might end up being, you know, a net negative overall for Burn, uh, you know, letting people answer your spells or answer your stuff early without taking a ton of damage from their lands. And then it, you add on the fact that Leyline Binding is a one or two mana answer to Eidolon that isn't going to trigger Eidolon because it technically has mana value six. Yeah, exactly, right? You know, you can get around... Like, that, that's a big thing, too. I didn't even think about that, but that's that's actually yeah. pretty important. Also gets around Abrupt Decay, which is sort of like a classic answer to Oblivion Ring-style effects where, you know, people would put Abrupt Decays in their deck, and then now you're it's sort of a liability because they can just get their threat back at instant speed and create that tempo swing uh, at an opportune time. Leyland Binding, you know, much harder to answer in that way. Uh, you know, there are, you know, Besageus and things around, so it's not 100% safe, but uh, not as safe as, you know, or it's certainly safer than previous iterations of this effect. Yeah, exactly. Uh, any other cards from Dominaria really have an effect or not having an effect that's surprising you? You know, anything standing out to you for the construct formats um, that we've been messing around with? I don't know. I, to me, though, like, there's there's so much text on cards now that it's, it's becoming harder to predict them, uh, uh, yeah. you know, or, or really see where they slot in. But I, I know I was not, uh, you know, expecting a huge impact from this set beyond the, you know, all of the cards that, that we have discussed so the, there's nothing the jumping out of my head as something yeah. that you know is underperforming uh at least underperforming my expectations but um you know maybe jaya a little bit i thought jaya and and we've seen a little bit of it i think i think that we've seen some mono red lists that go a little bigger and play jaya um 
that's pro that would probably be the biggest uh yeah, for, underperformer. That one for me. Yeah, that one for me and the what is it, Voldalen Hexcatcher, the, the the Merfolk Lord. We haven't really seen that come up yet too much, and I was like wondering if that's a card that really pushes that deck forward maybe a little bit. Merfolk suck. Yeah, I mean, I'm aware, you know, yeah. but uh, obviously we've seen Runevelt Horde Master, like, you know, Goblins is, I think, solidly Tier 2 again in Modern. Elves has been showing up a little bit A little bit. Well. I think people are building their Elves decks really, really poorly. Um, okay. That, that's a thing. Um, so in Pioneer, everyone's Elves decks have four um, of the three mana 5-4 uh, Steel Leaf Champion, right? That's That card is, like, secretly not an Elf. I know it says Elf. In the in, on the card, you know, it gets plus and plus one from Leaf Crown Visionary, but that is not the game you're playing when you build an Elves deck. You know, you're not the you know individual powerful threat aggro deck. You are the hyper synergy aggro deck. I'm generating a lot of extra mana. I'm playing a hugely a huge wide board using anthems to make them big, or using these you know global pump effects like from uh, Elvish Warmaster or Credo of Behemoth or Azuri. Uh, across different formats to, you know, almost combo kill the opponent, right? This is what successful Elves decks have done in the past. They've leveraged that mana generation. And, you know, Steel of Champion, yeah, like, it makes three pips for, for Nykthos, but if if that's the way that the Elves deck is, you know, generating its mana, I promise you it's worse than Mono Green Devotion at doing that. So, you know, that if you're going to play Elves in Pioneer, you got to find some other mana engine than... Uh, Nykthos, otherwise the deck is just worse green devotion. And that's what the, you know, I think is the deck's unfortunate fate right now, because you don't have Heritage Druid, uh, you know, you don't have Devoted Druid, you have Circle of Dreams Druid, but there's so much good cheap removal in Pioneer right now that that card just isn't reliable. Uh, you know, maybe if the metagame shifts and you can reasonably just ca- try to cast that card on turn two and, and ride it, um, you know, then Elves can do something, but as of right now, the decks just kind of look like bad mono green devotion decks to me, but they also all have a stupid three mana five four in them that doesn't make any sense. Sure. sure. Now yeah. people also do things like that in in modern. Uh, I, I know Aspiring Spike has been playing a lot uh, recently with Elves and doing pretty well with it on his stream, and he built his deck very differently than most people. I really like the way he has his built. Um, you know, he's not playing Collected Company recognizing that you're you're getting your card advantage from Realwalker and Leaf Crime Visionary now, which are better forms of it, and using, you know, Court of Calling to, uh, you know, find the necessary pieces. Um, notably, Court of Calling, very good with Warmaster and Dwinan's Elite. You know, I, I often didn't like Court in pre, in years ago in Elves, but you didn't have Warmaster, and that, that has really changed how, the, how Court plays in the deck. Um, and, you know, being able to just find your Heritage Druids consistently, start going off with Leaf Crown Visionary, ha- has looked rather powerful. Um, so, you, uh, I'll just say, like, if, if you're building Elves deck, like, you know, really think about the synergies that you're building around, because that is what makes Elves powerful. It's about, you know, some sort of broken mana engine, and then, you know, finding ways to leverage that mana engine, whether it's through card advantage from things like Glimpse of Nature and Leaf Crown Visionary, or through... You know, big effects like, you know, Natural Order and a Crater Hoof Behemoth or, or uh, you know, Azuri and sinking your mana into that. Uh, you know, that that's where elves, you know, butters their bread. It's not just casting individually powerful cards. Um, so that, that that's my that's my take. Leafcrown Visionary is still a good card, though, if we want to focus on 
on you know the new stuff. Now, Ross, I would be remiss if I didn't mention our lovely sponsor, Barrister and Man. And I know you can see me, but the people at home can't. And uh, I'm holding quite a large box here. Oh, you got another shipment in? Uh, yeah, I got another shipment in from them. So I'm going to open it right now. Hopefully this won't be too much noise. We'll give Brent a lot of extra work here, our lovely editor. Of uh, Hopefully this will get through. Uh, I remembered to grab some scissors so I can could, I could open up this while we're on air. And... Uh, you know what the best part is? Is like I get a couple of these a year. I probably get like I don't know four or five boxes of stuff from them a year, and I don't remember what what it is half the time. So it's it's like I get to re you know what I mean? It's 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 like Christmas morning. You get to open up the gift and like oh yeah this is this is what I got <laughs> you know kind of thing. And yeah. uh, God this is this is look I love how well it's sealed, but when you're trying to open it for a podcast, it's not a good thing. No okay okay I think I, I think I got it a little bit faster. I think I know one of the items that I have in here. I'm super excited about getting and opening it up, but. Um, for everybody at home, barristerandman.com. That's man of two ends. Make sure you check it out. Uh, lots of really cool stuff for, I mean, practically everybody. It's a really good, sorry, almost cut my hand there. It's a lot of really good stuff for this time of year, especially because we're entering into that time of year where, yeah, you, you know, you're kind of, you're expected to give some gifts to people, you know, people you like, maybe people you don't. If, you know, you got a friend that smells a little bit, you know, they need to up their, uh, <laughs> they need to, they need to. Up their uh, hygiene game. This is one. Ross, this this box is huge. It's got packing. Look at this. All these packing peanuts. I'm getting kind of hungry. Look at this. <laughs> I'm getting kind of hungry. Don't eat those, Tannen. Yeah. Uh, now, if you were to order one of these and get it shipped to your house, is there a code that people could use? Do you, do you think? Do you, you know, there, there's probably one. Do, do you know it? <laughs> yeah. It is MTGRANTS2022. Okay. And that's all capitals, if I remember right. And that's worth 15% off at the checkout for everybody at home. Uh, yeah. You get it only one time, but if you've ordered from them in the past and you haven't used this, you can do it again. And then uh, I'm not guaranteeing this, but we have to change our, our code pretty often, you know, like maybe like once or twice a year. And that'll probably reset it for you the next time. I'm trying not to make a huge mess here. That's I'm impossible. Not, you just I'm not succeeding at that, yeah. by the way. Just so, g- just give up on that and get your oh, stuff. Hold on, hold on. I got a garbage can over here. Hopefully everybody could hear me like drag the garbage. Yeah, the, the the packing peanuts are making it difficult to open up everything without making a mess. Because like I'm doing this while you know anchored to my computer and like doing all this while talking to you and stuff. Again, love opening the stuff. Should have maybe opened this one ahead of time for the show. But hey, you know what? We learn, we adapt. Also, the box is bigger than I thought it would be, which is great. Don't get me wrong. But, Ross, are you one of the people who likes to pop the little uh, bubbles in the packaging stuff? Not really. Not, it's not your thing? No. All right, you're going to hear some ripping. All right. Screw, screw taking it easy. I, I gave up. You're what right. What do we got? Give up. Okay, so uh, I got what, about three of what is my actual favorite thing from them overall. Can you guess what my favorite thing is from Bear Snowman? Uh, Shaving soap. Uh, I mean, I do love the shaving soap. It's probably been the biggest upgrade in my per- in my personal like hygiene life. But my favorite thing are just the hand soaps, the hand and body soaps. So, well, the body soap and hand soaps are different things, Tannen. Well, they're hand and body soaps. Sure, sure. But I mean, I, yeah. well, I guess they have liquid oh, yeah, hand yeah, soap. The, that's the then... liquid hand soap too, because like yeah. I, I'm pretty big on washing my hands over the last couple of years. But uh, we got three. different I hope you were big here. on washing your hands before the last couple of years. You know what I mean? <laughs> just, just more. We got three of those, which. Uh, Dude, I'm uh what, what's like I said what sense did you get? So we got uh give me a second here. Because uh they're 
they're labeled a little different. Let me get the, the order for them so I remember exactly which one I got. Give me a second here. We got uh, the full measure of man, which I already used. That's my uh, shaving. Ooh, uh, I haven't tried that, that one use. yet. Yeah, it's good. I like that one a lot. And then we got uh, Lava Nile. And then, Lab- are, is, are you sure that's not lavender? Uh, I don't, I don't remember exactly. It's not, it's not, I mean, it doesn't, so I don't remember, you know, again, I have another box coming too. So I remember exactly what I ordered this one. I'm not sure. And then I got spice, which is really cool. It's got goat milk and butter and stuff in it. And I'm super excited about that one as well. It's just called spice BS spice. So try, try that one. And then. Uh, oh yeah, we got a couple more hand soaps like you were talking about, uh, or as they like to call them, the cootie killer, which I'm I'm a big fan of. That yeah, I don't want to get any cooties. Yeah, I mean, God, they 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 really overdid themselves this time. Actually, it looks like I got three of these. I got another shaving uh, butter. I forgot which one this one is. Let's, let's open this one up. Oh, is this the new one? Yeah, this is bay rum. Okay, I'm actually really excited about bay rum. I think that's what I'm gonna do next. And then this item, I was really really excited about getting i got the barrister man towel nice it's actually pretty big and fluffy and it's not a full-size towel either it's like really ideal for like shaving and yeah stuff like it's that like a, a face towel hand yeah, face it's really really ideal for that which you know being a dude you know who like you know moves and travels as much as i do i sometimes you know have to make do of what i've got i like having the extra towels of different sizes and stuff because I don't like using the same towel I used getting out of the shower for my face and stuff yeah. after doing all that stuff. So it's really nice. So make sure you check out all that stuff. Bearsterandman.com. Uh, Ross, I know I just made you pretty jealous. I'm sorry that I got a box and you didn't. But hopefully you get one uh, sometime I'll, soon. I'll just have, I mean, I got one reasonably soon. I'm, I'm just about through the first bar of soap from it. So I'll yeah. be getting a new bar, starting a new bar of soap soon. And uh, they, they started doing beard oil again. So I got a couple of beard mm-hmm. oils in my last box. The sandalwood is what I've been using recently. It's so good. Ugh. Yeah, that one is the the one that I was the most intrigued about for for beard oil as well. So yeah, so that that's my that's my new kick is, is beard oil. I've been using it frequently. So make sure you use that code at checkout for fifteen percent off. Um, we didn't have a mailbag submitted for this week. We had a couple of ones for the for the last one. We did have someone submit some new mailbag, but it was just pretty much them saying that we're awesome and we really appreciate that because you're awesome. But I think I'm going to jump around in the overrated and underrated for a few minutes. We haven't done this in a while. And yeah. we're kind of behind, so some of these, I'm just going to kind of, like, skip through and grab a few, because, like, A, we need to catch up on them, and some of them are a little time-sensitive, so uh, the first one that I see that pops out to me is from Cathal, and it says, using chopsticks to cook, and I think this is massively underrated. I I like using chopsticks to cook and to eat food that you don't normally eat with chopsticks. I actually don't own chopsticks at home. I'm, like, mediocre at using them in a restaurant. Uh, Same. You know, I get by. I, I would say, yeah, I would say like baseline competent. That's basically where I am. Sure. Um, that that's that's Ross in a nutshell for me. Yeah. It's like it's like Ross baseline competent Miriam. <laughs> but I, I've seen people like you know beat eggs with them or whisk stuff together, and they seem very good for for those tasks. Yeah. So yeah, definitely underrated. Yeah, Yeoman says using chopsticks to eat chips so your fingers don't get greasy during a draft. I saw this recently on something. Somebody was eating, I think, Cheetos of chopsticks because like, they didn't want to get the, the stuff on their fingers. I was like, this is genius. I don't eat chips a lot, but when I do, that's like the most annoying part. Do you know that they can literally make Cheetos and Doritos and things like that without the dust that gets on your fingers? They could make them, and they would taste exactly the same. 
but they they see that as part of the like Cheeto Dorito eating experience and actually think of it as a positive. And that blew my mind because I would eat like three times as many of all of those things. Uh, actually, not but Cheetos, not really Doritos. I'm not a Doritos guy. But I would eat like three times as many Cheetos as I eat currently, which is like one bag a year when I'm craving them. And but like I, I hate it. I, I cannot imagine. And I've never met someone who, who likes it. Everyone agrees with me. It's awful. So I don't understand how they don't just make Cheetos without the dust getting, you know, covering your fingers. Mm. Mind blown. I hate it. Yeah. Fuzzy Dan says half the room crowding around the last active tables. <laughs> this is the thing that 100% happens. It got a grin on my face when I read this. So. If, if it's a match I'm trying to watch, obviously overrated because then a bunch of people are in my way. But if I'm like away from tables, you know, like playing cribbage between rounds or just shooting the shit with somebody, it's actually nice to be able to look and be like, oh, I see one crowd. There's one match still going. Yeah. <laughs> and I can, you know, sort of estimate from there how much time it's going to take. So, uh, you know, properly rated because I've got one on each side. One case. Yeah. I'm going to go with like kind of properly rated as well because like uh, I'm actually I think it's kind of cool. It adds to the, like, especially later in the tournament. You know, this happens a lot more in, like, day twos and stuff or, like, later in an event if you're, like, you know, playing in, like, round six of an RCQ, right? Or round seven of an RCQ. And it, like, kind of... It, it might not be fun for some of the people in the event if you're one of those people that gets a little nervous or, you know, a little uh, claustrophobic or whatever. But I do think it's cool to, like, add the pressure and the, the feeling of, like, you're in an arena kind of thing, which yeah. I kind of like. Yeah, magic needs more of that. It needs a little more pump. Yeah, Joe, Mr. English says sideboarding unlimited. I think this is one of the most underrated things in all of Magic. Oh, yeah, by a, like a huge margin. And it's not just like, you know, bringing in your color hoser that you happen to draft that's good against them. Like it, You should be thinking about what removal your opponent has and what kind of creatures that they have and find the threats that you have that match up well against them. Like sometimes your opponent is really bad against a 2-5 because they've got a bunch of 4-4s four and 4 damage removal. And, you know, sometimes they're really bad against certain cheap creatures because you've noticed that, like, they don't have a lot of cheap removal and you think you can get underneath them. Like, that's the kind of stuff that you've got to, you know, be paying attention to in game ones, which is why I usually just write down every single card my opponent plays in game one. Because I don't want to have to commit, like, use the mental energy remembering it. I'll just jot it, jot it all down. And then when I'm yeah. sideboarding, I like go over it. I'm like, where, like, where are the weaknesses here? You know, what card? I do, yeah, I do a very similar thing. I, I write down the tricks and stuff a lot, or like all their instants and stuff too. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have a separate page of notes. It's just me writing down every card, and I'll like basically put it into like quadrants. I'll have you know like you know creatures, creatures and yeah. I'll try to organize it a bit by curve, removal spells, tricks, uh, and like maybe bombs in a separate corner or whatever. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll just divide up creatures into like small and big. Yeah, like. This reminds me of a, of a PTQI one where it was like in the semifinals, we both were like black white decks in, um, I'm trying to remember the format, the format that had Grey Merchant, the first Grey Merchant format. Theros. I couldn't remember which set it was. And uh, in the matchup, I remember like game one was this long drawn out affair and I sideboarded in like five cards and just like took out all of my bears, you know, like all of my random two drops that don't have abilities, you know, like my two twos for two or whatever, you know, yeah. because like, they weren't relevant in the matchup. The matchup's like a bunch of a, a decent bit of removal, and then like just a bunch of like two fours, three fives, you know, four four creatures, big things. I, I boarded in like a six mana removal spell, 
or whatever, you know, like isn't very good, but in the matchup, like, you know, he's, he's got like a flyer that's going like, to try to kill me with. Yeah. And you I just know the games like, are going to be slow. So. Yeah. As we were on like turn seven or eight, you know, we we're both like kind of out of cards and top decking and like he top decks and plays like a two, two for two. And I, in my mind, I was like, you just lost. Like if these <laughs> cards are still in your deck, like you can't win anymore. All right, the next one's from Rubber Duck Sauce. He says, asking your opponent how many GPs they've played. <laughs> <laughs> underrated. Underrated. <laughs> yeah, pretty underrated. Yeah, yeah. That's actually pretty great. Rubber, that's one of the best ones I've, uh, uh, I've ever read on here. That's 55, by the way. Yeah, 55. Sure, sure. I, I love how you did the math. Uh, Joe Mr. English says, using your playmat from a pro tour at a tournament. You know, in the back in the past, I would have said this is overrated. Honestly, I think it's just underrated. Be proud of your accomplishments. Show it off. Who gives a shit what other people think? Still overrated. Sure. <laughs> old, old, angry man. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let's... <laughs> so this one's really old. I know you're not going to know this, but Mikey Hopkins asked this one. He's like, the Linkin Park-Jay-Z collaboration. Do you remember this? I didn't know that happened. Yeah, so just like learning about that today. Four or five songs where they did it and like it was pretty cool so i was a big lincoln park fan back then i remember there used to be like a like a newsletter or something they would send out to you in like emails and on it they asked a bunch of people like what are your favorite artists other than lincoln park and they found a bunch of people in an area where they were going to do a concert that like were like yeah we're jay-z fans or whatever and they just invited them to an event and just like he shows up and they just do the collaboration like live they've already recorded stuff and they put out a, an album or whatever but like can you imagine like you're like a jay-z lincoln park fan? i know like Imagine you're a person who likes modern music, Ross, and likes these artists, and then you don't know this is happening, and then you show up to the concert, and this goes on. Like, my mind would be blown. Yeah, I would have gone nuts. Yeah, so really underrated. All right, let's see here. What's the next one? Uh, Yeoman says, entering events with the explicit purpose of scooping to friends to help them win. And he has the word collusion marked out. <laughs> so, sorry, repeat this? Uh, oh, God, I just clicked away from this. Give me half a second. Uh, I, Okay. Oh no! It like it 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 moved. Okay, so he said in, entering events with the explicit purpose of scooping to friends to help them win. Oh, he has oh, a collusion marked out. Un, un, underrated. Yeah, I think it's underrated too. So like, I actively planned to do this before I've, I've I learned this, that yeah. I couldn't play any more local RCQs after winning one. Yeah, so I've done this a few times in Flesh and Blood, and uh, like I I just play till I have the shot of you know conceding to someone. Because here's the thing, you know I. I need to practice, right? And like play the game as much as possible. And I want to play at the highest level that I can. I don't get to play in pro tours. Like I don't get to play in these big events because I'm doing commentary for them. You know, I'm doing coverage. So when like a PTQ happens at my local store, you know, and this this happened very recently, like I, I want to play in it to get to get the thing. So I end up playing, you know, all of like five, six, seven rounds of Swiss, you know, all top eight. And then when I get in the top eight, I get paired against a friend. I'm like, yeah, you win. Like, I'm not gonna take their dream from them you know, for an event that I can't play in. And this invite does nothing for me. Like, I can't bank it or anything, you know? So I think it's underrated to help your friends out there, for sure. Wait, so so you, you're going to also just, like, concede the finals or whatever? I mean... To anyone? Yeah. Yeah, I would. I mean, like, it, I'm sure there's a situation where I wouldn't. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm sure that someone could say something to me. Yeah. That yeah. would make me... But, but would, you would, know, to, to an average yeah. person who, you know, you don't know Reasonable from that. person... Yeah. Also, like, the, the situations always come up, you know, that one of my friends is in top eight, and I'll just get paired into them or whatever, because, you know, I'm, I'm friends with all, you know, all the local players, and especially the good ones. You know, I'm not saying I'm only friends with good ones, but, like, my friends are very good at the game, and so, generally, when we play each other, it's going to be in top eights and stuff like that. So, let me see here. What's the yeah, next I'm, one? I'm team shrink the game. As far as I'm concerned, sure. like, 
it says win the tournament to you know qualify and you didn't win the tournament like you you don't deserve like i i mean i, I would consider that concession or whatever or maybe we'd split and i'd be like yeah i'd ra- I'd, I'd rather concede and leave but like you know I, i'm not automatically conceding i guess i should say it's not that i would never concede but i just don't i don't understand the the like pearl clutching over you know this idea of dream crushing when the rules are very clearly laid out yeah i'm right there with you so uh i'm gonna ask this one ross and i i ask that you show a tiny bit of restraint though i'm not actually gonna censor you and you'll get it you you know what i'm trying to say here like let's not try to go too off or too crazy but uh someone said uh, alan swan says the queen the queen Yes, the queen. I mean, certainly the this? most important ant in the colony. Sure. So, or or bee in the hive. Yeah, or in the hive. So, so and, and I like bees. So underrated. Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta go underrated too. I mean, like they're they're super important. You know, I mean, what was the thing? You know, they they found out if bees didn't exist, we humans would like the world would stop and what? Oh yeah, years they're incredibly important to the global ecosystem. Yeah, that's that's a good one. I like that. Uh, Cathal says Queen the band, obviously underrated. Um, really good. Maybe yeah. uh, maybe a touch. I well, Bohemian Rhapsody is overrated, but a lot of their other songs are great. Like Killer Queen is a great song. Don't Stop Me Now is an awesome song. Um, you know, but you just hear, especially as someone who goes to karaoke frequently, like God, you just hear so many bad renditions of Bohemian oh, Rhapsody, and they just sure. go on forever. I think that they were like one of the better entertaining uh, bands of all time. Like oh, they yeah. definitely like set a bar and like yeah. you know they're really and big Freddie Mercury is fucking awesome and uh, crowd participation and all that stuff. So yeah, really really cool stuff there. Plus you know Live Aid was the shit. So uh, anyone who helped out with that is great. So um, let's see here. Uh, what's let's see if we can get maybe like one more. I'm kind of just scrolling through. Gonna double sleeving your Battle of Wits decks. <sighs> I think Ross just had a mini seizure. Not only is this overrated, it's just wrong. <laughs> it should get you banned. <laughs> I despise double sleeving. I'm not, I hate I'm it. Not a fan. Not a fan. Hate it. Well, like we're, we just keep adding more and more things. Like in two in two thousand four, you know, you could show up in penny sleeves with no tokens and like you know. Your deck tied up with a rubber band. <laughs> and now we've got $80 deck boxes that take up half the table. And, you know, play mats that, you know, are custom made. And, you know, dice that are made out of fucking tungsten. And and you got to have 14 different, you know, 24 karat gold sleeves for your freaking deck. It's ridiculous. It's gone too far. We need to stop. And I have drawn the line. I will sleeve my deck exactly once and no more. Sure. I, I'm also a single sleever, but I don't blame people for wanting to protect their stuff. Uh, I think that's going to be about it for this week's episode. Uh, make sure you, you tune in next week. We'll try to get an episode out as soon as possible. Uh, again, traveling quite a bit over the next four or five days. So uh, we'll see when that comes out, but we'll try to get it out as soon as possible. Thanks everybody for listening. Ross, if people wanted to hear more from you and your hatred of double sleeving, where would they go? You can find it on my Twitter. I'll post a tweet right now. (laughs) Uh, I'm at Ross Hunted's, uh, and that is the best place to, you know, 
follow me for uh, updates on really everything. So do that and you'll figure everything else out. Exactly. You can find me at the Tannen Grace on there as well if you want to follow me along for my uh, magic stuff, my flesh and blood stuff, uh, sports takes, et cetera, et cetera. Playoff baseball is coming, so the tweets are coming soon too as well. <laughs> so, uh, and anyway, we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening.